0: Oh, good morning. So good to be here, and I'm so thankful to be in this house. I just, man, walked through it yesterday. What a wonderful job. I'm so proud of you as a church family. Tremendous facility. I can hardly imagine what the Lord's going to do in this house over these years, and I'm just so proud of you and grateful, grateful, grateful to be here. Again, I get to lead a network called the Malachi Network. Jeff is not only a part of that as this Uh, leader of this church, but he's the chair of our board, and I'm so grateful mostly for long-term friendship. When I get to invest in young leaders, one of the things I ask them to do is to pray, pray, pray that they have a few friends that they get to walk over decades with and share about how Jesus is continuing to lead in their lives. It's priceless, and I'm so thankful for Jeff and Carol and that kind of Friendship. I do just want to quickly update you uh, because many of you are concerned and care and invest in the Malachi Network. Uh, we've had a wonderful year. We continue to oversee and love and care for and administrate and visit about 40 plus leaders. I used to say young, they're not so young anymore, but uh, they're continuing to do amazing things for Jesus in places like Cairo and Nepal and Guatemala number of churches here in the United States. It's a high honor. We have um, retooled why we exist as the Malachi Network because of the faithfulness of the board. We're continuing to anchor ourselves in the purpose of Malachi 111, making the name of the Lord great among the nations. But we're also investing in these three pillars, rethink church. It's essential for us, especially in the American culture, to rethink church. We want to release leaders. Our default position is to say yes when we know they love Jesus and and they're listening to his voice. We want to be the kind of older leaders that say, yes, we believe in you. Release, you're released, go. man, And then also be there when sometimes they stumble and are in crisis. Rethink church, release leaders, most of all, We want to develop a culture where church planters and missionaries all around the globe remain faithful. This is about remaining faithful until Jesus comes. And so we want to create that kind of culture where they're anchored in God's word. They're protected by spiritual community. And they remain faithful until the day of the Lord. So that's who we are as a network. Uh, Since September 1, I've localized some of my ministry in a local church in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Blake Dabler's the lead pastor. He's been on our board. I've been a friend for 25 years. He invited me to come and bring the network inside of that local church and also do some ministry there, mostly focusing on prayer and young adults, which, man, just put a gleam in my eye, and so I have the joy of having a global outreach through the Malachi Network with a local expression in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We've been meeting with about 15, 20-somethings for the last eight weeks, and I can't tell you anything more wonderful than the privilege of sitting around a table and talking about Christology, who Jesus is, and why it matters to a generation that may be the harvest generation. They may see the return of Jesus. And it's crucial that they know who he is and are able to express that to a world that needs him. But also, we just started this week a community prayer room in Quarryville where Monday through Friday from 6.30 to 8.30, Taney and I get to lead a time of of community prayer. And man, the Lord's already breathing into that. And I'm so grateful for uh, the privilege to have a global with a very practical local reach. So that's where we are as a couple, and thank you so much for your continued prayer and support. I do have a message, and I was reluctant to share about it with Jeff because you don't know this, but probably most of the good messages you've heard him preach have been from me. And I had no trust that he wouldn't preach this before I got here, and then they'd say, well, Jeff, you must have gotten that from Jeff. So I just wasn't really willing to roll the dice on that. <laughs> uh, in, in Wesley Church in Quarryville, uh, Blake, the lead pastor, and I have been preaching an Advent series on some great lines from Christmas carols. We started with, What Child is This? And that became the theme. Who is this man? It was much less a kind of waltzing lullaby, What Child is This? And much more of the intense question that the disciples asked when Jesus stood in the midst of the storm And with one word, the wind stopped blowing and the waves stopped crashing. And they said, Who is this man? That's been our heart. Who is he? What child is this? And so we moved from there with some great lines. Pastor Blake is preaching this morning on this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. Last week, I got to preach my favorite. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Christmas Sunday, we'll be focusing on risen with healing in his wings, which I just love the idea that on Christmas Sunday, we're going to preach messages on healing. That's just awesome. And this is one that I'm going to preach this Sunday after Christmas. And it's on We Three Kings. And I want to root that in Scripture. But first, I want to hit, before we even look at Matthew chapter 2, on some of the things that we might have wrong about these kings, right? If we're just basing what we think on that carol, first very basic thing we may have wrong is that there were three of them. We don't know, do we? We know there were three gifts, so we've kind of assumed that there were probably three. But we don't really know. There probably was a larger caravan that traveled with them. And there may have been two. There may have been five. We're not sure about the number. So that's one thing we may have wrong. We also may have wrong their place of origin, where they came from. The hymn says we three kings of Orient are, and so that makes us think far east because we do know from scripture they came from the east, but we're not exactly sure where their origin was, are we? And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment, but here's what we know about that. It was east. They came from the east to Bethlehem. We also may have wrong based on that hymn, their occupation, their role, because we sing about kings, and biblically, we're, if they probably weren't kings. It's much more likely that they were, something else we reference, wise men, and I want you to center in on that thought, that these men, we're not sure of the number, came from east of Bethlehem, and... Likely were not kings, but wise men or magi. Now let's look at God's word. Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. Follow along as I read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi... From the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all people's chief priests and teachers of the law, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their country by another route. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask that the scripture along with, and this is such the miracle of holy scripture, we ask that this living word would now have synergy with the manifest presence of Jesus in this room. So that life can be planted deep within our spirit today that impacts the way we think and the way we live tomorrow, this week, this month, maybe for decades. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, just like I shared about this theme that We're calling, what child is this? Who is this child? That's the kind of intensity that I have when I read the scripture. Who are these men? Why? Why did they do this? It's got to be, I mean, all that I was left with with my Sunday school flannel graph is a star. A star led them. That's not sufficient, is it? How? Why? Who? What is going on here? I mean, we have... Religious people in Jerusalem that won't even go, what, 10 miles? Is that what it is from Jerusalem to Beth? They won't even search 10 miles, and these guys come from who knows where. Why? I've got to know. That's what I settled in doing about six months ago. Why? How did this happen? There's got to be more than that one-dimensional flannel graph Sunday school understanding of these wise men. Why were they watching? Why would they travel? Why would they be so unbelievably generous? Gold. I mean, you realize this was most likely God's provision For Mary and Joseph, when they have to escape into Egypt? Why? Why so generous? Why? When Jerusalem literally is ambivalent, are these guys from the east, when they get to him, why are their hearts filled with joy? That's what the Bible says. These weren't just astrologers, scientists, or whatever, that were simply following uh, an unemotional route because of a star. When they got there, their response to him is joyful worship. Who are these guys? And why? Why Why are they there? Well, I have an answer that I'm not sure of, which is a terrible thing for a preacher to have to say, Right? You can take it or leave it pretty much because I've just given you enough, all the scripture I can give you on this. But here's a possible answer that has brought life to me. And again, I'll just qualify it like that. Here, this might be why. Are you ready? And maybe you already know this and you've already thought this for years, but I'm telling you for me. This, the last several months is the first time I started to piece all this together from my understanding of Scripture. Where else in the Bible do we encounter wise men? Think about it. It's not just Matthew. We encounter wise men in the book of Daniel. You remember that story? It's an amazing story in the Old Testament. It's when many of the young men, especially of Israel, were taken captive. That's where the book of Daniel takes place. They're taken captive from their homeland in Israel, men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, taken from their homeland, probably teenage boys, to be slaves where? Where? Babylon. Where's Babylon? About 600 miles or 800 miles east of Israel. Modern day Iraq. So, 600 years, about 30 generations before the birth of Jesus, a part of Israel's history is that Many of the young men especially were taken from Israel to be captive in Babylon to serve as slaves, and some of those men included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thirty generations before the birth of Jesus. And we know from Scripture, I'm going to read that Scripture in just a few moments, we know from Scripture the head of of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, a very wicked man, has a dream, and in that dream, he decides that he's going to call some of the wise men of Babylon to not only give an interpretation of that dream, but he's basically saying, in his evilness, look, if you're really wise, then you not only need to tell me what my dream means, but you need to tell me what my dream is. And then, again, just this evil, evil heart, Nebuchadnezzar says, and if you can't tell me what my dream is and what it means, then I will take you, wise men, along with your families, and I will cut you into pieces. Merry Christmas. It got dark real quick. That is exactly right. I need to redo my outline. Because that got dark real quick. Let's see how wise you are, wise men of Babylon. You need to tell me what my dream is and tell me what it means. And if you don't, things are going to get bad, dark, real quick. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's where we are. Let's look at some scripture together. Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. Well, first, let me, let me give you the storyline here. Immediately, when Daniel hears this, because these young men from Israel are brought in, some wise men say, hey, we've got some guys from Israel here that are pretty good at interpreting dreams. They're pretty wise, so let's include them. And so Daniel hears this, and immediately, because of his connection to Yahweh, his heart is broken over the tragedy that is now looming over the wise men of Babylon as well as himself and Shadrach, his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so what's Daniel's first response? I love this. You can read about it. Look look at verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends not, might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now watch this. I love this verse. During the night, you know what that means? They prayed through the night. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. You can continue with that. It's a great verse. I love that Daniel's first response to this looming darkness was, Man, we got to pray through the night. Praying through. <laughs> my grandparents' generation understood that better than my generation or my kids' generation has. In our instant society. Praying through. That's what these guys did. Now look with me. Daniel 2, 27 and 28. Daniel replied, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Ne- Daniel replied, no, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery He has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the vision that passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And then Daniel reveals not only the dream, but the meaning, giving glory immediately to Yahweh, his God. Look at verse 44 through 49, Daniel's still speaking. In the time of those kings, he's giving the interpretation, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He's bringing in messianic prophecy now. This is Daniel, Old Testament, 600 years before the birth of Jesus giving messianic prophecy about a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver. You remember the dream was this statue made of different materials, the silver and the gold to pieces, the great, King, God has shown the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel, Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. Now listen, he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. All right, man, 800 miles east of Jerusalem, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, 30 generations before that night in Bethlehem, Daniel, because of the power of Yahweh, saves all. All the wise men of Babylon from being cut to pieces and going dark real quick. In an oral tradition that passed stories like that down, that was a value. Can you imagine one father to a child, grandfather to a grandchild, where the child with bright eyes, maybe a hundred years later, says, Granddad, tell me that story of Daniel again. Tell me that story when all of us could have been killed by the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. Tell me that story again. Certainly there's no doubt that this story of the wise men of Babylon being saved by Yahweh through Daniel, certainly the influence of Daniel and his friends increased because of the position that Nebuchadnezzar gave to Daniel, now with this Israelite young man, now the chief of the wise men in Babylon. The influence that was his. Let's look at some of the message that Daniel must have shared with his influence. Just a couple of verses. I'd love for you to reread these chapters in Daniel sometime real soon. You remember the story of the writing on the wall. Let's pick it up at verse 8 of Daniel 5. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father of the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel. And it goes on. I want you to see the influence. I want you to see The depths of the prophetic message. Again, I'm just hitting some highlights in the book of Daniel for you. But I want you to see what Daniel invested into Babylon because of his position God gave him through Nebuchadnezzar. Look with me at Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. I want you to especially key in on the messianic prophetic message that Daniel must have invested into the rulers of Babylon. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until, you ready? The anointed one, capital A, capital O, (laughs) until the anointed one, the ruler comes there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. I won't go into all that. You've probably heard or seen the charts. That's not a part of this message. I probably can't preach that message. But I can say this. At the core of Daniel's message, in his position of being the chief of all the wise men of Babylon, he's describing a day when God will establish a kingdom through an anointed one capital A, capital O, Messiah. And there is no doubt in my mind, in this culture, that story could have been passed down for 30 generations. And for me, that is at least, I'm convinced, a likely answer to who are these men and why. Why would they go to such lengths? Why would they travel so far? Why would they risk their lives? Why would they come with such generosity? Why, when they got there, when Israel is ambivalent, are these foreigners filled with joy at his birth? And not simply honor, but worship. You see, when the Israelites were released from their captivity in Babylon, Babylon you might not know this, most of the Jews stayed in Babylon. They didn't go back. They would established themselves. They didn't like change like we don't like change. They stayed right there. And so they're continuing to influence that land, which, again, is modern-day Iraq for us. They're continuing to share their storyline. They're continuing to be an influence about a coming king. And so it is absolutely likely. You want to hear one more thing that may or may not have an impact on this message? I just think it's pretty cool. You know who else shows up in Daniel twice? Chapter 8, verse 16, and chapter 9, verse 21, Gabriel. The very same angel that is at the core of the birth narrative in the Gospels. He's in Babylon, showing up. Gabriel, 680 B.C. Turn with me to Isaiah, chapter 60. Eighty years before, we have the Daniel story, a part of Israel's prophetic history. The very things that they're sharing now, in their positions of influence in Babylon. Chief of the wise men. Isaiah 60, look with me at verses 1 through 6. Messianic prophecy, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels and Midian and Ephoth. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Who are these wise men? We three kings of Orient are. Who are you? They may have come from Babylon, 800 miles east of Israel. And the reason that they came with joy, because of the investment made 30 generations before Jesus. The reason they came with such generosity, because of the prophetic message That there's a king who's coming, and his kingdom will cause every other kingdom to fall. They brought gold for a king, incense for a priest. Myrrh for a corpse, faithfully believing in the messianic prophecies given to Israel about a king who is also a suffering servant. All right, so if that's true, why? Might it be important? Well, here we sit in an amazing facility. I'm so proud of you guys. Your generosity, the work, I mean, Jeff, walked me through, and told me about all that you have done. Unbelievable. Faithful. hardworking people. Here, here we are. It's not hard to see what's going to happen to this area. You just have to look to the left, right, when that thing becomes four-length. How far will you go now? How far will you go now? I said to Brian, I can't believe you put that twist on reckless love. You couldn't have done anything better for the message that's on my heart today. Is there a mountain that you won't climb up? A lie you won't tear down? Going after them? How far? Listen the Jerusalem boys wouldn't even travel 10 miles. They said, hey, while you're there, would you do some investigating for us? How far will you go? Because as dark as that story in Daniel got, the storyline of this Of the end of this age is more intensely dark. The urgency hasn't decreased. How far will you go? How generous will you be? How much joy will you bring? How heartfelt will your worship be? Let me share a story that, again, I hadn't heard until just recently. Send me a 100 men skilled in your religion. Kublai Khan, wrote to the Pope about 700 years ago. If they were convincing, he said, I shall be baptized and then all my barons and great men and their subjects, and so there will be more Christians here than there are in your parts, Khan wrote. But Pope Gregory X, unable to see the future, only sent two. And neither of those Roman missionaries made it to Cannes. journey was too hard. They gave up. They never got to the territory, which at that point stretched over one-fifth of the globe's inhabited land, the Mongol Empire. That was the greatest missed opportunity in Christian history, David Barrett and Todd Johnson wrote in World Christian Trends, because Khan was also interested in Buddhism, and Tibet was a lot closer than Rome. By the end of the 13th century, Khan had translated Buddhist teaching into Mongolian, restored and built Buddhist monasteries, and appointed a Buddhist to the new position of state preacher. Give me a hundred missionaries, he said. And the Pope sent two who couldn't make the trip. So, how far will you go? Look at what he's given you. Think about what's possible. Look, you have a history of not being like most of the church in America, believing that you exist here to meet each other's needs. You've not. Succumb to the centrifugal force of most churches that continually just pull inward. But the stakes are high right now. Because you're not nomads anymore, you got a house. How far will you go? Because things are going to get dark pretty quick. And there are generations that need to know that there's a king coming. An anointed one. And every other earthly kingdom is about to fall. So gather your resources, church. Get ready to be more generous than you think is comfortable. Let your hearts be filled with joy Worship with everything you have. How far will you go? Is there really a mountain that you won't climb up? Let's pray. So, Lord, this whole sermon may or may not be accurate. Crazy. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, I believe with all my heart the challenge is. And it comes right from your heart, Jesus. (laughs) Lord, would you keep us alert? If this is true for 30 generations, they stayed alert. 600 years, they stayed alert. Lord, don't let us sleep. They risked. They gave. They worshiped. They went. That's who they were. Lord, would you continue, whatever this church gets called, would you continue to raise up women. And men who will follow hard after you and express your reckless love to a world where things are about to go dark quickly. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together.